Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, January 17th, 2021. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. And Alex, you probably know this, even though it's not celebrated in the UK, but today is actually Martin Luther King Day. So I wanted to um, mention that. Um, obviously, I, I, there's no words that I can put behind you know all the amazing things that that gentleman did in his life for, for race relations and things. But it's really, um, people have the day off in the US. I'm sure you're aware of that. You probably remember that from when you were living there. But I wanted to mention that. Nice. Yes. I, I didn't realize that it was um, Martin Luther King Day um, being now in the UK, but absolutely fantastic and, and obviously a great, a, a, a great person to remember. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So um, how are things going otherwise? Like, where are we now? I mean, I, are all the deadlines passed for round two or there's still some stragglers this week? Sloan. You've got to love it. They're the okay. smartest of the top <laughs> programs because they wait a week until after all the mad rush mm -hmm. and then they have their round two deadline. So, yeah. I mean, year on year, this is so predictable. And yeah, kudos to Sloan for, for holding out for a couple of weeks after January 1st, sort of after the New Year break for their round two deadline because I've got to imagine that yields them a few more applicants. Yeah, I, I have to ask Donna this next time. You know, we had her on the podcast. I did a Q&A with her, but I forgot to ask her, like, why do you guys camp out a little bit after? And, you know, I don't know, maybe she would have said, well, you know, we don't like typos and essays. And we know that if people have that extra time, they'll <laughs> they'll send us more polished work. But I, I think, you know, it probably is something to do with the fact that they, yeah, they just don't want to be in the flood of all the other deadlines and it must help. Yeah. I mean, it's got to. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it cannot hurt. Yeah. People are not going to not apply to Sloan because it's a week afterwards. Right. <laughs> right. That's just yeah. can't hurt. Yeah. yeah. So I have a question for you, Alex. I'm going to um, pretend that I'm an applicant and I've just submitted apps to, you know, Harvard and Wharton and a whole bunch of other schools during this blitzkrieg of, you know, of rounds that we just went through. And so I have one question for you. When do I get my interview invite? Because I'm really impatient now because I just submitted. And when, when when's it going to show up? <laughs> it's difficult, isn't it? Schools operate in very different sort of um, processes. So, I mean, I imagine if you applied to um, Tuck or Kellogg for sure, um, you better hope to get that interview invite very quickly. Um, because, I mean, for instance, Kellogg, their, their goal is always to try to interview everybody. Um, right. What you don't want to do is get um, get get that sort of um, deferred option interview. I forget what they call it now. Um, a waiver, yeah. Yeah, the, the interview waiver because that's a kiss of death. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so there are a couple of schools that you expect early. I mean, Yale, um, notorious for sort of taking a quick cut at their their pool and, and getting some quick invites out early too. So I imagine we'll see a little bit of that action. But other than that, it's going to be. Yeah, two, three or four weeks, depending on which program, before the bulk of the interview invites will start shifting out. And so I guess I lied because I do want to ask one follow-up question around this, and that is, what can I do to grease the wheels now that, you know, I know my app's in, but can I like make a few phone calls or get some people to, you know, make sure I get that interview invite or what, what should I be doing with my time? Yeah, if you do that, you won't get the invite. So <laughs> sit right. on your hands and, yeah, re, 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 you know, if you need a distraction, read a great novel. Yeah. Um, but there's, yeah. <laughs> It's out of your hands now, and I mean, there, there are a couple of possibilities, right? I mean, if you're planning to retake a test um, over the next several weeks and you do that and you can get that score in before the interview invites are about to come out, make sure you get that score in. 
we we advise folks to do that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, don't be. I mean, wait wait to hear from from the school rather than bug the school about when the invites are coming. And you know, you can go to Livewire and and so on and so forth, do some searches to get a really good sense of when these interview invites are going to come out. And some schools will publish that date Yeah. Um, anyway. Typically, Harvard's one of the earliest sort of big schools out the gate with their sort of um, interview invite day, as it were, in terms of releasing them all on the same day. They're generally in front of Wharton and Booth and some other schools that do it that way. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure if Harvard's yet announced what date that is. No, I don't think so. Yeah, typically they will announce it through their admissions blog. Yeah, and we'll keep everyone posted on that stuff here. Um, I will say next week I'll try to come with a, an idea for a book and a show that people should watch if they're really getting antsy. Because you you know it's true that if you don't if you don't need to improve your file by retaking a test or something, you just need to sit on your hands. And sometimes it's good to be distracted. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got I got the show recommendation, Graham. Already, all right. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Emily in Paris. Oh, I have. You know, it's funny. A friend of mine has been working on the filming of that production for Netflix, but I've Excellent. never I haven't seen it. Um, and I know they're in the second season now or something. So, yeah, I should watch it. It is. I mean, I, I hate to say it because I, I kind of like this kind of stuff. You might find it a li little lightweight. But the reason why I suggested it is obviously you're in Paris. So right. You could yes. give us a good, um, a, a good review on whether you think it's really realistic. But, yeah, it's kind of a bit of fun. But it's a nice distraction, right? Okay. <laughs> All right. Noted. Um, I'll come with a book next week. Um, over on the, the website uh, for Clear Admit, we've been running, again, a lot of content. So we, we published some real humans pieces where we sit down with current first year MBA students at schools and really pick their brains about how they ended up in the program they're in and what it's like. So we sat down with students from Vanderbilt Owen, uh, from UT Austin McCombs, and also Boston College's Carroll uh, School of Management. So three of those ran. And then you're going to love this, Alex. We did another employment report breakdown, this time for Kellogg. And I know we've been for many weeks now, it feels like, going through these. And so... Um, you know, Kellogg, I, again, I broke out the um, regional uh, placement stats as well as the industry placement stats. Um, the main top line number is obviously $150,000 average salary with a $30,000 average uh, signing bonus for those who got signing bonuses. Um, but in terms of the placement, they did 37% of their class um, went off into consulting, 26% into tech, 15% in financial services, 8% CPG, and then 6% healthcare. So uh, any thoughts on those numbers in terms of the industries? What did you say for healthcare, Graham? 6%. Yeah, that's decent. That's decent. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because we're in the process of, of um, rolling out some content related to which are the best schools for which industries and which geographies yeah. and stuff. So I'm really excited for when we actually release that data. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, these numbers from Kellogg don't surprise me at all. 37% consulting. We know Kellogg is a consulting powerhouse. Yeah. Um, and tech, we know that um, Kellogg has a, a strong focus on tech relative to um, um, financial services and so forth, despite the fact that Kellogg has an outstanding finance department. So yeah. um, it's, it's really super interesting. This 150 average starting salary, <laughs> I'm getting a little cynical here, Graham. Every time you tell me a school they, is a 150 average starting salary, that can't quite be true, but I it know. seems like a few <laughs> schools have 
plucked uh, like they, they they focused on that number um so so <laughs> yeah. that's that's quite interesting i'd be quite interested in the geographic diversity because i think what's super interesting and what we're going to reveal with our data maybe in the next month or two whenever we get this project complete is you take a, a program like kellogg and a program like booth which are both geographically in pretty similar similar region of, of, of the of the country very similar <laughs> yeah yeah but geographically I mean, Kellogg sends a significantly higher proportion of, of candidates to um, the West Coast, whereas Booth sends a higher proportion of candidates to the East Coast, if I remember correctly, yeah. and, and so on and so forth. So, so yeah, super, super interesting stuff. Yeah, um, I'm excited about that project, which we're, you know, kind of, you know, we'll just ask everyone to keep it on the down low because no one knows about this. But, yeah, we've been, you know, Alex and I are convinced that all these top schools are fantastic, right? But they're all different and they're all good at different things. And depending on your goals, like you really might need to flip the script and not get so married to like what U.S. News says about the ranking, right? So, um, but but yeah, getting into the Kellogg stuff, you are correct. They placed 30% of their graduating class on the West Coast, which is really impressive considering they're not on the West Coast as a school. Um, they then had 28% land in the Midwest, obviously a lot of those in the Chicago area, probably some Minneapolis and um, Detroit as well. And then in the Northeast, they've got 15%. Southwest, 9%, Mid-Atlantic, 5%, and then South, uh, 4%. So that was their geographic distribution, um, which, you know, pretty broad. I mean, if you think of the West, Midwest, and Northeast as the biggest markets, um, they're spread across those. A little lighter on the Northeast than you might expect, I guess. But again, they're sending a lot of people West now, and that's where, the you know, there are a lot of jobs out there when, when it comes to tech. It's, it's really related to the industries, right? So it's just interesting. Yeah. Yeah, super interesting. So yeah, stay tuned. We're looking at a lot of um, interesting, <laughs> a lot of good numbers and comparisons and year over year stuff. So yeah, just hang on. We'll we'll get you more data as as the months go on here. Um, I did want to ask if if people are still um, sifting through round one decisions and trying to, to make it, you know, make the call as to where to go. Please share your outcomes on Decision Wire. Um, Alex and others on our team, Elliot, and and even just members of the ClearAdmit community will all happily chime in. So post, you know, what happened? You know, where'd you get in? How much money did you get at different schools? And then everyone can kind of weigh in. And um, and if you already know, you can also just share that and say, here, here's where I got in. Here's where I'm going. And people will then congratulate you. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And, and you say, Graham, even just members of the Clear Admit community, but I have to say, we've got um, one member who, who sort of, I mean, they went through the process last year, as far as I can, I, I can, I can tell, mm -hmm. um, co contributing to sort of entries, undecided entries on decision wire over the last um, week or two. Absolutely fantastic insights um, in terms of really not not just saying you should go to you know Harvard over at Stanford or, or just making quick comments, but detailed analysis yeah. of why you know one school might be a better fit to another based on lots of data and so on and so forth so i'm super impressed and that's what we try to cultivate um, with the clear admit community sort of folks helping each other so major props to whoever that person is obviously they're, they're anonymous on the site but absolutely fantastic work yeah very cool stuff um other than that we're going to have a couple of events in february i've been mentioning um the uh, panelists are now finalized so on february 2nd we're sitting down with admissions reps from Berkeley, Columbia, Chicago, and Carnegie Mellon Tepper. Um, this is all about deferred enrollment. So this is for college juniors and seniors. If you're thinking about heading off to business school and want to get your seat 
uh, reserved at a top school in advance. Um, and then on February 9th, we've got Wharton, Yale, MIT, and Darden. And you can register for these things by going to bit.ly forward slash D-E-M-B-A 22, all lowercase. So sign up for those events if you're interested and, and are a younger candidate thinking about business school in advance. Also, Alex, we're going to be on Clubhouse, I think, this Thursday at noon Eastern, or we're going to try. Um, we'll set it up in Clubhouse and get get the word out and also post it on our website. But I think we're going to come back and, and talk to folks as the dust has settled on their round two submissions, and we can talk about interviewing and all the next <laughs> next steps of the round two process. Um, other than that, I kind of want to get into our candidates this week, but I did want to mention someone named, um, well, the username is Spacey Songbird, left us a really nice um, short review on Apple Podcasts. Um, they titled the review, Very Helpful, gave us five stars and said, I just discovered this podcast a few weeks before I took my GMAT, and I've listened to probably around 40 episodes since then. I am hooked. So um, that, that was a nice, nice, uh, you know, quick review there that we got. Um, but other than that, Alex, I know you spent some time picking out candidates, so we should probably get into that part of the show, huh? No, brilliant. Let's kick on, but 40 episodes, that's very impressive, I have to <laughs> yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's more than I've listened to, I think. So, <laughs> um, All right, so uh, this is Wiretap's candidate number one. So this is an apply wire entry that you've selected, and the candidate is looking to start school in the fall of 22, so they're actively applying right now. Um, they've applied, they have 11 schools on their list, and that list includes Berkeley, Columbia, Dartmouth, Michigan, MIT, Kellogg, NYU, Chicago, Wharton, Darden, and Yale. So a lot of the top schools there. They've been um, working in kind of the education sector. They're actually a small business owner. They run a language school. Um, they are located in Japan, but this is an American male. Uh, I think they describe themselves as a white dude <laughs> um, who went to undergrad in the U.S. at Dartmouth, actually, and then moved immediately to Japan and has been working and living in Japan for 11 years now, making this candidate 33 years old. GMAT score 760. GPA 3.47. And again, they just indicate they've founded and been managing a language school in Japan for seven years now, and they're looking to pivot to a PM or PMM job in ed tech in the US. Um, they've got Google, Microsoft, others on the target list. So Alex, I know you went back and forth and so did I with this candidate, but what do you make of their chances? Because wow, 33 is a little bit older than what we normally see, right? Yeah, no doubt. Bit of an outlier there. And what an unorthodox candidate we have here. But what a fantastic candidate, too. Um, I reckon if they really sort of, uh, you know, get the, all their ducks in a row and, and sort of tackle the, the potential risks of this candidacy, they'll come across as a super, super strong candidate. I mean, at the end of the day, Graham, they've got 760 on the, G, on, 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 on the GMAT. That's super good. So whatever that 347 GPA, that's not going to be a problem, I don't think, with an outstanding GMAT. And having an outstanding GMAT score of a 760 as an older candidate, I think that's very good too. Um, not, not sure why I, I sort of have this idea that older candidates are not going to score quite as, as, as well, but I mean, um, anyway. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's fair. It's, I think it's because there's a general thought that it's because the further you get away from your undergraduate days, the less um, kind of, you know, your, your skills get rusty in the math and all that stuff. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah, yeah no. So, so that 760 to me is, is a very strong, strong, strong signal. Um, so, so what have they done? This is a, you know, they graduated um, um, 
uh, Dartmouth or whatever in, in, in whatever. Then they went straight over to Japan. I'm, I mean, we don't know why that is, but let's assume that may, maybe there was a, a partner or whatever and they, 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 they went over. They, they've done two or three entrepreneurial experiences and this sort of Japanese language school is what has stuck and, and worked. And they've, I, I'm assuming that they, they will be able to show that they've done very well. So, so to me, that shows a real good sort of pioneering spirit, sense of adventure, going to Japan, assuming that they personally didn't have any connection to Japan before they went um, and so forth. I think that's outstanding, Graham. Now they're planning to come back to the US, get the MBA and, and use that to transition um, into ed tech, which I can get that connection because they're running a language school. So they've obviously um, probably thought long and hard about that pivot and, and so on and so forth. The real um, issue that the candidate will face, and we, we've sort of reinforced this in the comments, is making sure that they show that they've done the adequate research for the schools that they're targeting and they can really show fit and show that they're going to be fully engaged through the two years of the MBA experience, not just go to class, check out and hang out with their family or, or whatever, but to really contribute and fully engage. Because, again, that's the perception sometimes of the older candidate who's married, and I believe that they, they have a partner, um, that they're really not going to fully participate. So if they overcome all that, Graham, I got to love this candidate. Yeah, I could not agree more. Um, one thing is I think it's not a Japanese language school. It's probably English. I'm not sure, yeah. actually. <laughs> um, but it's in Japan. And yeah, I like that there's something else they said. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think at some point they said that they founded three companies, yeah. um, but that it's actually this last one that's worked. So that means I presume they probably have some kind of interesting um, setbacks and, and you know challenges that they've faced. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot that could be really compelling essay material in this profile. I agree with you, though. They got to fit in. Um, you know, there, as you said, there's sometimes that stereotype that the older candidates are there to sort of get in, get the degree, and get out. Um, and so they need to show that they're going to throw themselves headlong into student life. The thing I do worry about is they submitted all 11 applications in round two. And I just, I mean, hopefully they're just a superstar workhorse and we're, we're able to put in the amount of time into each of these applications that is, you know, necessary because that's about double the normal volume for someone in terms of how many schools they target. And so I'm hoping that they were able to really pour their heart and soul into each of these applications and customize, you know, on a school by school basis and stuff. But we shall, you know, we, we shall see. And I do want to wish them the best of luck because it is a really interesting background. Yeah, yeah. I mean... That is a risk, right, what, what, what you're talking about, because if you spread yourself too thin, obviously you can't put the requisite effort into each individual um, application. So on the one hand, you think, well, I'm applying to more schools, so therefore I should ultimately get more options. But on the other hand, you, if you dilute your effort, um, that might not actually be the case. Yeah. And I, again, it can be done, um, but we see on average people targeting more in the kind of, you know, I don't know, five to eight schools or something, five, six. It really depends on the candidate and how competitive they are. Obviously, when you see a candidate with a 7840 from a, you know, underrepresented market or something, they might only apply to like four schools. Um, but yeah. So, but anyway, very cool post. I'm thrilled that that person shared their profile on the site. Hopefully they're one of the folks that we see tuning in from Japan to the podcast so that they can hear our take on their candidacy. Um, but thanks for that post. I will throw one, one, one additional um, point here. Like you say, they applied to a lot of schools 
And it looks to me, Graham, that they've sort of looked at the M7 and they've looked at the top 16, sure. like those two different tiers. Yeah. Um, I, w- I would honestly think they've got to be, I'm not saying a slam dunk, but that top, you know, those schools in that top 16 bracket, they're going to love this candidate. Uh, I think this candidate would really have to do a poor job on, on those applications not to get some options there. It's more in the M7 that did they really put the effort in to show that fit, to show that they really will fully engage. Yeah. But anyway, we, we shall see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Wishing them the best of luck, obviously. And yeah, uh, yeah thanks for picking them out. Very cool post. Um, let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So this is another ApplyWire entry, and it comes from a candidate who is also in the midst of applying. Um, This candidate actually told us that she is a 27-year-old female. Um, She grew up in the Middle East, and she currently is in West Virginia, and she's applying to Berkeley, Duke, Harvard, Stanford, UCLA, and USC. Um, She's been working in manufacturing uh, in terms of her career to date. She wants to pivot into consulting. She's got Bain, BCG, and McKinsey on the list. No surprises there. Uh, GMAT score 710, GPA a 3.62, and she's got 3.6 years, um, very specific number there, but so a little more than three and a half years of work experience. Um, she also mentioned that she's an engineer um, and she works, I guess, had been working at a top 10 petrochemical company in the US. And I believe that. If I understand this correctly, she's currently in the midst of kind of a gap year, so taking a year off to pursue passion in advocacy. So she's doing some kind of political advocacy. I'm not sure where that's happening, if it's D.C. or somewhere else. Um, and then she also says that she's using the year to apply to grad school and that her background is that she's a uh, Syrian-American. Um, so, Alex, you had a lot of dialogue with her, but what do you make of this candidacy? Because there's a lot of kind of compelling factors, I think, and there are also a couple of, you know, concerning points. So let's walk it through here. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. Um, and what what are the compelling factors? I mean, this is chemical engineering. I mean, again, I, I might be a bit biased, but I think that's one of the hardest programs you can do. Yeah. And they've obviously done very well at it, um, you know, with the 362 GPA and I, and I would imagine their work experience in in, in the petro you know petrochemical company in the US there's probably some really interesting stuff that they can draw from from, from that um, their goals make sense in terms of being I think more of an environmental um, side of the energy business um, you know consulting first and then long term sustainability in 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 the in, in the energy business that all makes sense and I love the advocacy stuff in as much as um, this is a Syrian American, and they're they're doing work to sort of um, further um, the the cause, presumably for Syrian Americans um, in 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 Washington D.C., uh, which is very noble and very important. I wish them the best of luck. Having done a bit of lobbying myself, it's just like slamming your head against a brick wall full of money, because <laughs> if you don't have the money, you just don't win in Washington. But anyway, we <laughs> that's my my personal bias on on that. Um, system over there. But anyway, um, so uh, to me, there's a lot to like here because I do like the fact that she's doing this advocacy because in life, we should be passionate about something. She's obviously passionate about this stuff and and has sort of committed significant time to it. Now, you could argue uh, if she's taken a gap year to to do this, then that shows something. Maybe that's not ideal. And especially during that gap year, she's also using the time to target and apply to 
to, 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 to graduate school. So there, there could be a little bit of a pushback on that. Um, it'll be, depend on how she sort of explains it all in her um, candidacy. But if she can overcome that little wrinkle, Graham, again, I've got to like this candidate too. Yeah, it's an interesting situation in that um, I was kind of reading through all the comments. and I don't know that she actually discloses like what type of political advocacy it is, but she does say that it's a passion project. So I don't think it's related to her work. And you might be right. It might be related to her background or something. Um, but I think someone who, I mean, it sounds like, you know, grew up in the Middle East, um, immigrated to the U.S., has been working in the U.S. And, you know, obviously, um, as you say, very tough undergraduate major um, she just must have a really interesting point of view and a lot of interesting, you know, kind of stories to share. I, yeah, with the gap year, I don't mind, you know, I, obviously we're, we're in this process with COVID where a lot of people have kind of been rethinking their careers. What they keep referring to the great resignation, you know, this wave of people kind of moving on from a job and doing something different. So I like that she's, you know, um, sort of taken a year to pursue this passion project as she recalls it. And yeah, I think it adds a lot of color to her candidacy. The only thing that I would, and I presume she's not going to do this, but I, the thing that I would be wary of is I would never tell anyone that I also thought it'd be good to take that year so that I could apply to graduate school. Um, or I certainly wouldn't tell anyone in an admissions <laughs> office that. Um, and the reason is, is that, you know, you know that other people who are applying are working full time, you know, some of them working like 70 hours a week in a, you know, high pressure um, startup or investment banking kind of environment. And they're managing to get the apps in and study for the tests and do it all. And so you never want to say, yeah, I took the year off to kind of apply for school, right? So I think as long as she's saying, oh, I took the year off because I'm really passionate about this advocacy work and that's what I've been up to. And, you know, now I'm going to go to business school and, and I want to pivot my career and, you know, needed some time to reflect on that. And that's how I've arrived, you know, at this sort of decision. That could all be fine. Um, I did have a question for you, though, Alex. What do you make of the 710 on the GMAT? Because... If you look at her list of target schools, which I'll remind our listeners includes Berkeley and Duke and Harvard and Stanford, as well as UCLA and USC, I believe that that GMAT average, uh, the average GMAT at those schools, I think almost all of them is going to be north of that. So are you worried about that at all? I'm not that worried, quite honestly, Graham. Chemical engineer undergrad with a 362. Um, 710 is decent anyway. It's, it is below the median. I get that. But I don't think we can question if she's smart enough to thrive in, in, in the curriculum. I think she'll, she'll overcome that hurdle. Yeah. Does the 710 allow her to stand out? We know, we know it doesn't. Yeah, um, yeah. But I do think it puts her in the game, which, which is um, the key thing. But I, I was going to ask you, though, Graham, about her choice of, of programs. I found that a little, um, <laughs> I'm not saying interesting, but yeah. What did you make of the, the choice of Haas, Fuqua, Obviously, Harvard and Stanford, and then Anderson and Marshall. Yeah, it's interesting only because ordinarily, you know, if I were to look at this list of, you know, where, where she's applied and, you know, I would say, oh, this is someone who wants to work maybe in tech in California. Um, and yet, you know, we know she wants to get into consulting and then, um, you know, kind of sustainable, uh, well, I guess sustainable energy or mm. not, not sustainable energy, but sustainability in, as it applies to the petrochemical industry in terms of, you know, plastics and things. So, you know, yeah, this wouldn't have been the list that I would have com come up with, but maybe there's some personal reasons for wanting to be, you know, let's say on the West Coast, because she has a handful of West Coast schools. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's an interesting, I mean, 
Look, most of these schools place a ton of people into consulting when you're talking about any top 16 US MBA program, you can get into consulting. But yeah, this isn't the list that I would have necessarily uh, come up with. And I also, if you think about you know, petrochemical and, and just, you know, sort of the energy sector. Um, I, yeah, I, I sort of wonder, you know, th this isn't necessarily the list of schools that have big networks in that domain either. Right. So yeah, it, it is interesting, but she's applied. So I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it's a bit of a puzzle to me. I mean, it's West coast plus Duke Fuqua, um, which, which I just thought was a bit odd. And HBS. Well, yeah. And HBS, but we know Graham, because we've looked at the math, the HBS sends more people to the West Coast than any other top business school. In terms of raw volume of people, yeah. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's what it's all about, right? So if, if 250 people go to, you know, from Harvard go to the West Coast and that's a higher number than any other program, then that to me makes them a great school for the West Coast. Right. If that's right. what you want, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it's true. Um, so yeah, very interesting, yeah, that these numbers that we've been looking at are fascinating. So um, all right, let's move on though. I want to, I do want to wish her that Best of luck. You know, obviously she's got those apps in. Please keep us posted. You can always, you know, email Alex and I, and this goes to anyone listening, just by emailing info at clearadmit.com. Use the subject line wiretaps and we'll try to um, get you a response. We'd love to hear from you. So right away. <laughs> uh, all right, here we go. So we'll get into our final candidate. So this is wiretaps candidate number three. So this is a decision wire entry as we've been doing the last few weeks. We love to help people solve their dilemmas. And this is a candidate who doesn't know where to go. Um, they applied to Chicago, Cornell, NYU, Wharton, and Yale. Um, they're gonna be starting next fall and they got into Chicago uh, where they are have a $50,000 scholarship. They also got into Cornell where they've got an $80,000 scholarship. They got into NYU Stern with no money, um, and they've actually asked the school and it's they're not budging, so it's zero dollars there. And then over at Yale SOM, they were also accepted with a $75,000 scholarship. Um, the only school they were not admitted to, it looks like, is Wharton. Um, they wanna get into investment banking after business school, and they're targeting companies like Bank of America, Barclays, Citibank, Credit Suisse, Goldman, JP Morgan, all the usual, you know, suspects. Um, this candidate uh, also wants to eventually get into private equity. They have a GRE score of 330, and their GPA was 3.4. Uh, the candidate is located in West Africa, and they're currently a commercial banker, and they want to get into, as I said, iBanking, but they really would love to do private equity, as I said, and they would, I guess, it sounds like they don't have a preference for a location in terms of like a big city or a smaller setting. Um, and they would love to stay in the US for the foreseeable future. So they're talking to all the schools and trying to get even more funding. But as it now stands, Alex, I want to put the question to you. You're in at Chicago with 50, Cornell with 80, Yale with 75, and Stern with nothing. And you want to work in iBanking. What, what do you do? Yeah, to me, it looks quite straightforward. It's, it's Chicago over Johnson um, in terms of for this particular career that they're interested in, I mean, switching into investment banking, potentially looking at private equity in the long run, 
Um, I think Booth absolutely trumps the other options, but the second choice for me would be Johnson. And what's particularly interesting about this candidate, they're coming from West Africa. So obviously, you know, the, the whole US experience will be new, I, I presume, and so forth. So, so that's a little bit of a wrinkle, rather than a candidate that's coming from New York or, or whatever. Um, so, so, so that's got to be factored in. Um, they're also the first candidate um, on 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 our wires, Graham, to get get an avatar. So we've got to love this candidate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and they have a good handle, uh, yes. Godric Gryffindor, which I presume is some kind of a reference to Harry Potter, but I'm not an expert on the subject. But <laughs> I would assume that you might be correct. Yeah. Um, but also, this is a great example of a decision wire post where, again, that that. Um, for candidate that, that obviously came from last year's cycle um, really um, provided some deep insights in terms of why they would choose. Um, I think they, they targeted Booth um, over Cornell. And some of that was based on their experience looking at, at you know, what, what they've seen in terms of their recruiting and, and so on and so forth. So lots of really good insight here, Graham. But I think for the money being offered, i.e. the differential between Booth and Johnson, it's not, the differential isn't large enough to swing to Johnson's favour, I don't think. But I do think Johnson is the second choice in the, in, in this, this set of choices. So if they had no money from any school, would Johnson still be your second choice or would Stern somehow, you know, leapfrog into play because of their strength in investment banking placement? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Okay. Stern, Stern would be the second choice. But they've already eliminated Stern right. um, from, from their decision making. But yeah, okay, so- it, it would be Booth, Stern, Johnson, Yale for this particular um, um, focus that they're on. And probably Johnson, Yale would be quite close, but we know Johnson has a very... Um, focused track for investment banking. So, right. so that might give them the, t- the the tilt there. So I think the advice given on the site is terrific. And I just want to have a little bit of fun with you and play devil's advocate and say that I almost feel, I, I think Booth, you know, obviously Booth's a top school. They've got 50 grand from Booth. And as you correctly point out, the other scholarships are, they're in the same sort of domain. You know, there's like 75 from Yale, 80 from Cornell. They're not big enough in terms of the differential to move the meter. But one thing that was interesting to me is if this candidate said to me, gee, um, you know, I really like a small program and I really want to be in New York when I'm done. And where I come from in West Africa, I need to go to a school that's going to be known the world over. Suddenly, you know, you could see a case, a kind of dark horse case being made for Yale. And I'm a little bit influenced by some of the numbers we've been looking at with respect to Yale having a little bit of success with the PE stuff over the long haul. Um, so I just wanted to mention that because you can make all kinds of arguments here for any of it. And I think Booth's the right choice here. But it's just interesting because Yale... Um, you know, they have that proximity to New York City. They're an Ivy League school. It is true that they have a really global brand because of the parent university. So there are arguments that could be made. Um, it's obviously a very different program because it's smaller um, and that sort of thing. But yeah, just interesting. I, I love these kind of dilemmas that candidates face. And obviously these are, you know, it's it's a nice problem to have, <laughs> to have all these offers. But um, yeah, we didn't even say congratulations. This person basically ran the table and got money, which is always impressive to me because <laughs> I didn't get much money when I got into school at all. <laughs> yeah, no, they've done very well. But but yeah, and, and you know, it makes sense, the scholarship offers that they've got, because basically the, the program in the highest tier, um, Booth, 
his offering the least amount of scholarship, eliminating Stern from the mix because obviously Stern didn't offer them anything. Yeah. Um, so so it's, it's, it's a very interesting, you know, it, it, oftentimes, because we talk in admissions that it seems a little bit of a black box and it's a little bit random. I don't believe that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this sort of case sort of proves that out, I think. They didn't get admitted to Wharton and Wharton's in a tier above Booth. Then you've got Booth and, and, and you know, with the, with the lowest offer in the highest tier that they got admitted from and so on and so forth. But it does look to me that Booth is the choice here. Yeah, and then that only just begs the question as to, I wonder why Stern didn't offer any um, any aid. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, just because it doesn't really fit, sort of which one of these doesn't belong with the others. And maybe they have a different budget for financial aid or that that does vary quite a bit from school to school. So who knows? Um, but yeah, lots of great conversation on the website. If you read this post and go on the website, you'll see that, you know, there was some really great, as you said, interaction from a number of, of folks on our on our site in the community um, chipping in to offer their, their two cents, which I love to see. Yeah. Alex, thanks so much for picking these out. I guess we're um, just about out of time and we've run through all the all the candidates. But um, yeah, this has been, uh, as always, a lot of fun and some good sort of general admissions advice imparted about, you know, older candidates or gap years or, you know, just deciding where to attend for different industries and stuff. So lots of fun. <laughs> Very good. Best of luck, everyone. Stay safe.